Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or even better, a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, and Radio Havana Cuba. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. New COVID infections in Japan are at the highest level ever. Japan anti-nuclear weapon activists have made five demands on the government ahead of a review conference of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty in New York. Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov says Western weapons shipments to Ukraine have led to expanded objectives in the war. Russian oil and gas sales to China have seriously increased to compensate for U.S.-led sanctions. The U.K. and other European countries experienced historic high temperatures this week with many wildfires in the southern regions. NHK Japan to Japan, where the number of new coronavirus cases topped the record for a second straight day. More than 30 prefectures reached new daily highs, including Tokyo. Officials reported over 180,000 new COVID cases across the country on Thursday. It's forced authorities to issue a red alert for medical facilities in the capital. Tokyo recorded more than 30,000 new infections for the first time. That's 10,000 more than the previous record set in February. Japan's seventh wave has been causing cases to skyrocket since the start of July. It's led health advisors in Tokyo to raise the medical alert to the highest level. They say doctors, nurses and hospital beds are extremely stretched. Officials also say the more transmissible BA5 variant now accounts for almost all of the cases in the capital. The strain is affecting people with chronic diseases. This clinic has been unable to admit dialysis patients who've been infected. But government officials say new restrictions are not necessary yet. That's partly because there are fewer serious cases in hospital than earlier waves. People calling to abolish nuclear weapons have made a series of demands to the Japanese government. They're calling for action ahead of an important treaty conference that Japan's prime minister will attend. The Japan NGO Network for Nuclear Weapons Abolition held an online news conference on Thursday. Its members spoke to foreign ministry officials this week. The group, which includes atomic bomb survivors, submitted five demands. One is for Japan to recognize the significance of the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. The group said the officials told them they regard the treaty ban as a way to end nuclear weapons. 
Their calls come before the review conference of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty in New York. Kishida Fumio is expected to become the first Japanese prime minister to attend. Atomic bomb survivors will also speak at the meeting. Tanaka Teremi survived the bombing of Nagasaki. He says there's a new urgency for change. The upcoming review conference holds a different meaning, as it will be held after the nuclear ban treaty went into force. It also comes as Russia continues its aggression in Ukraine, while making threats that involve nuclear weapons. Tanaka wants the Japanese government to take a clear position as the only country to have experienced nuclear attacks. Moscow says the changing conflict in Ukraine has made Russia rethink its goals for the invasion. For weeks, the offensive has mostly been confined to the eastern regions of Donetsk and Luhansk. But Russia's top diplomat says an influx of Western weapons into Ukraine's arsenal means Russian forces may push into other areas. Now the geography is different. It's far from being just the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic. It's also the regions of Kherson and Zaporizhia and a number of other territories. Lavrov has seen U.S. and European leaders rearm Ukrainian forces with shipment after shipment of weapons. He says that has forced Russian commanders to expand their objectives. Their forces have already pushed across the south and they've captured a swath of territory. But once again, they've seen the power of weapons from the West. They'd used this bridge to resupply their troops. But Ukrainian forces hit it using HIMARS rocket launchers from the U.S. Chinese imports of Russian crude oil and liquefied natural gas grew in June from a year earlier. The increase stands out as Western nations have imposed strict sanctions on Moscow. China's customs authorities say about 7.2 million tons of crude oil were shipped from Russia last month. That's up nearly 10 percent from a year earlier. But the volume slowed from the previous month. In May, China imported 8.4 million tons of crude oil from Russia, an increase of more than 50 percent. Shipments of LNG are continuing at a brisk pace. China imported more than 520,000 tons of the fuel from Russia in June, a jump of more than 60 percent from a year earlier. Imports in May amounted to 390,000 tons, up around 50 percent. Beijing has so far refused to back the Western sanctions on Russia and has indicated that its policy is to keep trading with Moscow. But there are questions about whether the energy imports can continue to increase. That's because Western countries are seen to ramp up pressure on Russia and the Chinese economy is slowing down amid declining domestic demand. A blistering heat wave is continuing in some areas of Europe. Britain on Tuesday reported record high temperatures exceeding 40 degrees Celsius. Temperatures rose to a provisional record of 40.3 degrees in the village of Coningsby in the eastern UK. UK. Some British train services have been disrupted as repairs to heat-damaged tracks were slowed and fires broke out in affected areas. An electric notice board at London Victoria Station shows major delays for many trains. 
The London Fire Brigade says a number of blazes have damaged homes in and around the capital. They say high temperatures and dry weather are believed to have led to the fires. In Spain, more than 30 wildfires are continuing. Helicopters are being used to battle the blazes. Two fire-related deaths were reported in the northwestern province of Samora. The Reuters news agency says more than 70,000 hectares have been lost to the Spanish wildfires, the worst damage in 10 years. Wildfires have also spread in Greece. A blaze that broke out near the capital, Athens, came close to a residential area, with black smoke covering the entire area. Foreign fire brigades have also come to the site to help. The World Meteorological Organization said temperatures in Europe were expected to peak on Tuesday, but that they may continue to be higher than seasonal average until the middle of next week. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. On to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. A compilation of reports on the extreme temperatures and fires in Europe, highlighting the consequences of global warming. An interview with a meteorologist who says this weather is a preview of what is to come. Closed-door climate change talks are underway in Berlin with 40 countries attending. A Swiss climate scientist affirms that this extreme heat is going to increase with global warming unless immediate reductions in carbon use are implemented. A climate scientist says that the heat waves were predicted decades ago but not acted upon and that human activity has brought it on. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. From southern Spain to northern Britain, Europe is sweltering in an extreme heat wave. The temperatures and high winds are stoking massive wildfires across several countries, and scientists say these extraordinary events highlight the already very real consequences of global warming. Blazes have destroyed property and vast stretches of forests in France, Spain and Portugal, Italy and Greece. Hundreds of people have died in the record-breaking heat, and forecasters warn there's little prospect of any respite. And meteorologist Scott Duncan joins me now from London. Scott, welcome to the show. Temperature records are being shattered all over Europe. Why is this happening? So it's a particular severe heatwave that's been kind of brewing over Spain and Portugal and also northwest Africa over the last few days, really. And it's been hot there for actually quite a, a while, even throughout May. And it's been drying out the ground. We've been intensifying the heat over Iberia, and then the perfect weather setup is there just to then start lifting that north through places like France and into the UK. So we're just starting to see just how hot this air mass is as it lifts north. So basically, we've got an extreme weather event, but given the, the long-term warming of our planet, this sort of thing is just easier to break records now that our planet is indeed warmer. How worrying are these extreme weather events? Well, we're, we're seeing more and more of them so that the combination of seeing these extreme heat thresholds not just being broken, but sometimes completely obliterated by quite large margins. We saw that in Canada last year. We've seen Japan with heat records this year. Now, Western Europe, 
under the bullseye as we go through today and tomorrow. So obviously it's very concerning to see these temperatures, not just here in Western Europe, but across the world. And it is kind of just bringing into light what's kind of possible. And once we get the extreme weather pattern just to show us what our new climate is like, then we, we do really start to see the impact on society. Now, Europe's heat wave has brought added urgency to international climate talks currently taking place here in Berlin. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres is urging rich countries to keep their promises to help poorer nations deal with global warming and its consequences. Officials from 40 countries gathered for the summit to discuss staying focused on fighting the increasing impacts of climate change. Addressing the conference in a video message, United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres urged rich nations to keep their pledges to supply funds to countries hardest hit by the climate crisis. Excellencies, this has to be the decade of decisive climate action. That means trust, multilateralism and collaboration. We have a choice, collective action or collective suicide. It is in our hands. Hopes are high that the conference will lay the groundwork for a successful UN climate conference in Egypt this fall. Let's look at this with Sonia Siniferatni. She's one of Switzerland's leading climate scientists and a professor at the country's Federal Institute of Technology. She's been lead author on many international reports on global warming and joins us from Vienna. Uh, welcome to DW, Professor. Uh, will this heat uh, in Europe that we're calling extreme today be normal in a few years? Uh, yes, definitely. Already now, um, heat wave have become more intense and more frequent, and this is going to continue to increase with increasing global warming. Now, the, the Paris Climate Agreement saw world leaders pledge to limit a global warming to well below two degrees Celsius. So where are we heading right now? Well, at the moment, we are really not on track. Uh, so basically, if we continue on the same way that we are doing right now, we would reach about 2.4 degrees. So basically, we would be above the limit that was set within the Paris Agreement. If we want to limit global warming within but within the bounds that were set in the Paris Agreement, and if possible to 1.5 degree, we would need to have uh, CO2 emissions until 2030, so very quickly. Okay. Given what is happening now, that's unlikely to happen, isn't it? We have the war in Ukraine prompting countries like Germany to reactivate old coal-fired power plants. How much of a setback is this renewed interest in fossil fuels? Yes, this is certainly a problem. I think it depends basically how long this is happening for. So, for instance, if it's just basically this year, because we are in a transition phase, while also, of course, we have uh, less gas available, then it could be okay. But if we were to be using coal for several years, then it's going to be to have really serious consequences on the climate. Talk to us about those consequences, because, as you say, we're nowhere near um, the, the Paris Climate Agreement uh, uh, goals and we're increasing uh, our dependence uh, on fossil fuels because of the war in Ukraine. What is that going to look like? Yes, yeah, so at the moment already, as I uh, mentioned before, heat waves are becoming more frequent, more intense. So if we look at the uh, number of hot days that we have, uh, so the number of years when we have uh, hot days, uh, events that would have happened once every 10 years are now three times more likely. And at 1.5 degrees, it would be four times more likely. So it would happen four times every 10 years. And at two degrees, it would happen six times every 10 years. So it means the majority of summers would be extremes. It's hard to find any good news in this, because if we, if we look at, at Paris again and said, well, if we hit those Paris climate targets 
today, we know that the consequences of what we've already done would still be with us. What would be the sort of the best case scenario in, in, in that scenario? Well, the best case scenario is that we'll manage to limit global warming around 1.5 degree, which would mean that we would still have uh, conditions which are more extreme than now, but more or less similar to now, just a little bit more extreme. That would be the best scenario. But of course, this means also that no matter what happened, we need to adapt, we need to improve uh, basically the preparedness for this type of events. Understood. Well, let's hope the message is uh, out there. Uh, climate scientist, Professor Sonia Siniferatni, thank you so much. Alexander Demay is, a, uh, Demay is an expert on atmospheric processes and he's founder of Metclim, a company that provides climate change analysis and joins us from Varese, Italy. Uh, thanks for being with us. Dr. May, is extreme summer heat the new normal for much of Europe? Well, indeed, as we have seen today and tomorrow, the northern countries in Europe are experiencing a heat wave with temperatures reaching in some places 40 degrees Celsius. The warm air comes from the south, more specific, specifically from the African continent, and moves towards the north, reaching the UK, Germany, Benelux today and tomorrow. Many scientific studies and climate models predict that heat waves are more likely to happen in the next decades as a result of climate change. This is not something new. It is real and it is happening. Scientists from all over the world have been warning for many, many years that this would happen. Heat waves will be more frequent with higher temperatures and will likely last longer than one or two days. Right. I remember that three years ago, temperatures of 40 degrees Celsius were also measured in the Benelux. This was something rather new for the Netherlands. The heat waves are induced by human activities, such as right. driving cars, industries, and our way of consuming goods. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a listener at Albion, California did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. Doctors and nurses with Extinction Rebellion are acting on the medical emergency caused by global warming. Mexican President Obrador sent Joe Biden a personal letter defending Julian Assange and offering him protection. John Bolton, former National Security Advisor, bragged on CNN about his involvement in attempted coups, most notably Venezuela. Then a viewpoint on Joe Biden's tour of the Middle East, Radio Havana, Cuba. In London, doctors and nurses with Extinction Rebellion place stickers on the windows of J.P. Morgan's offices reading, In case of medical climate emergency, break glass. The activists then carefully broke the glass panes in an act of nonviolent civil disobedience. In a statement, 
Nurse Maggie Fay, who took part in the action, said the world is hidden because of our use of fossil fuels and GAP Morgan is funding this climate catastrophe. My code of conduct states that I must act without delay if I believe that there is a risk to patient safety or public protection. That danger is here and it is now. Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador has said that he has sent a letter to his U.S. counterpart, Joe Biden, in defense of Julian Assange after the United Kingdom approved the WikiLeaks founder's extradition to the United States. In a response to a reporter's question during a news conference on Monday, López Obrador said Mexico has renewed a previous offer of asylum to Julian Assange. He said, quote, I sent a letter to the president concerning Assange, claiming he did not commit any serious crime, he did not cause anyone's death, he did not violate any human rights, and that he exercised his freedom. Arresting him would mean a permanent affront to the freedom of expression. I also said that Mexico is offering protection and and asylum to Julian Assange. López Obrador added that he has not yet heard back from Biden. The development came after last month's UK approved Assange's extradition to the United States to face criminal charges related to WikiLeaks' release of confidential US military records and diplomatic cables. Last week, López Obrador met with Biden in Washington, D.C., during which the Mexican president said he brought up Assange's case. López Obrador, often referred to as AMLO, A-M-L-O, recently said that the Statue of Liberty should be dismantled and returned to France if, Jew, if Julian Assange is imprisoned in the United States. Assange's supporters, meanwhile, say the WikiLeaks founder is an anti-establishment hero who has been victimized because he exposed U.S. war crimes in conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq. They argue that his prosecution is a politically motivated assault on journalism and on free speech. Venezuelan Parliament has slammed John Bolton the megalomaniac former U.S. National Security Advisor, dubbing him crazy. Quote, following Bolton's brazen confession that he orchestrated government overthrows abroad. The South American country's National Assembly voted unanimously to condemn John Bolton's comments. Jorge Rodriguez, a member of the ruling United Socialist Party of Venezuela, denounced the plan coup and the support it received from the opposition, with the Assembly President affirming, quote, Venezuela will never surrender. In an interview with CNN last week, Bolton said that he had, quote, helped plan coups d'etat, not here, you know, but in other places, suggesting that he had played a direct role in the coups abroad, including Venezuela. Bolton quipped, quote, as somebody who has helped plan coup d'etats, not here, but, you know, other places, it takes a lot of work. He cited Venezuela as an example in his book, quote, I wrote about the coup in Venezuela in my book, and it turned out not to be successful. Jorge Rodriguez described the open confession as, quote, extraordinary brazenness, calling the former Trump aide a psychopath. He said, in the mind of this crazy John Bolton was the idea that the violence would accelerate so they could have an excuse for the invasion, a military invasion of Venezuela. Bolton publicly supported the Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido, who had requested on April the 30th, 2019, the country's military to help him overthrow the government of Nicolás Maduro. This occurred when Guaido, his political mentor Leopoldo López, and some Venezuelan army officials assembled outside a military base calling for the Venezuelan army's top brass to remove Maduro from power. 
The U.S.-backed plot, however, was thwarted, and Maduro remained in power, despite the U.S. insisting on formally recognizing Guaido as, quote, the country's legitimate leader. The United States has a history of instigating coups in other countries, but it is unusual that officials of the country openly admit their role in them. President of the United States, Joseph Biden, returned to his country the day before after a tour of the Middle East, where he tried to rebuild his country's hegemonic role in that region, which he obviously considers a fundamental part of his backyard. It was a journey aimed at consolidating Israel's management as Washington's policeman, strategic partner or close friend. If the latter concept has any meaning for the White House, something that history allows us to question the string of betrayals perpetrated everywhere. Despite the political crisis he found in Tel Aviv, with a caretaker government and much uncertainty about the outcome of the upcoming legislative elections, Biden gave a boost to Israeli ambitions. It is no coincidence that a few hours later, the Zionist Air Force bombed the Gaza Strip, where almost two million Palestinians live, blockaded by air, sea and land, a situation about which the U.S. president said nothing. The trip continued through the West Bank and Saudi Arabia, and included meetings with the leaders of the Gulf Cooperation Council, plus Egypt and Iraq. Rita was an uncomfortable but indispensable stepping stone for Biden. Let us remember that during his election campaign he promised to treat that country as a pariah among all nations. Circumstances, however, have changed a lot this year, and the United States urgently needs the governments of that area to increase oil production and join the sanctions against Russia complex objectives that will not be achieved only with the proconsul's visit. In fact, the words of the Saudi prince Mohammed bin Salman towards the head of the White House were relatively harsh. He reminded him that he cannot impose his values on other countries in the world, as well as the gross mistakes made in Iraq and Afghanistan, peoples torn apart by war. In one of his speeches, Biden assured that we will not walk away or leave a hello for China, Russia, or Iran to feel. We will seek to cement this moment with active and principled American leadership. His total ignorance is obvious that the Middle East is inhabited by sovereign peoples who, for better or worse, are capable of making their own decisions, and where there is no kind of hollow to feel. In reality, the tour was a symptom of Biden's anguish over the approaching energy crisis, and what he himself provoked with his absurd measures against Russia, but also because of the proximity of the midterm elections in his country, where his future as leader is maybe in question. Those reports and viewpoint were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at RadioHC.cu, though the podcasts are not up there. 
On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to 11 at either 606060 or 6165. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and European Union prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's out farpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.